Let's pray. Father, tonight, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You, Father, that we know You. Because we know You, our eternity is secure. Our future is sure. Lord, we may not know what tomorrow will bring, but You are still God, no matter what it brings. I ask tonight You anoint Your Word. I ask You to anoint our ears and bring a spirit of revelation in this room. And then to those who listen uh, via uh, uh, other devices, we pray, God, that we have revelation from You. We honor You tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. I'm going to start off tonight with a verse of Scripture, or two verses, that I don't know if you've read them very much or not, but maybe you ought to start reading them some. This is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I don't know if you've ever read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 very much, but it's about the coming of the Antichrist. That's what the chapter is about. At least the first half of that is about. So I'm going to start with verses 1 and 2. It says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. If you start looking around, it looks like the rapture of the church is near. Uh, you know, I don't know if you keep up with world events or, or biblical events, but it looks like the rapture of the church is near. Uh, this verse, that verse 1 says that we'll be gathered together unto him. And then you read in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52, it tells us we'll be gathered together unto him in the air. That the church will be gathered together unto him in the air. Uh, and, and so we know that we know we know that that's going to happen. I mean, this is, this is not theory on my part. I mean, I, I find it in the Bible. I find it that it's very scriptural to acknowledge the fact that Jesus will come for his church and then Jesus will come again at the second advent where he'll put his feet down on the ground. And we find in Hosea, that's where the Bible talks about him putting his feet on the ground. And so when he comes back and puts his feet on the ground, you and I will be a part of a great army that's going to be with him. And so he's coming to gather us together in the air at the rapture of the church. So I'm going to teach about end times, not tonight. I'll probably start uh, beginning in January. We're going to look at the end times and, and look at, at, at all those things. And, and I think we just need to have a scriptural basis for what we believe. There is too much of this stuff going on out there that says, well, I don't really know. Coming from the pulpits in our country. I, I don't really know and... So people aren't being taught about the end times. They're not being prepared for, for what, what's, what's getting ready to happen. And so we, we, we need to be prepared for what God's getting ready to do. Um, this, th those verses that I just read to you in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tell us what's going to happen just before the rapture and just before the revealing of the Antichrist. I mean, they're, they're, it's great. It makes good reading, and you ought to look at it, just kind of try to figure it out before we teach on it. But, and I'm not going to start there, by the way. When we took it to end times, we're going to start way before that. Uh, but in these times, it, it seems like everything that we hold valuable is being tested. It seems like everything uh, uh, that's going on, that we're, we're at the cusp of losing our way of life. I mean, these, these are, the Bible calls them, perilous times 
These are, are difficult times. The virus has made the whole world a place of fear. It's gripped the hearts of the whole planet. I mean, people are afraid, terrified of this. I've been taking my mom to get her some tests run this week. And if you go into a medical facility today, oh my goodness. I mean, you're going to have to have a mask. You're going to get your temperature, which is fine. But I mean, they're like, no, y'all sit over here. No, you're too close. You're 30 feet apart. You got to be, can't be that close. And I mean, they're just all about it. And it's terrified the world, the whole world. I mean, it, it's all up, up, up in the, well, not the whole world. There are third world nations probably who don't even know it exists, I'm guessing, but I don't know who they are. But, but the whole, the, most of the world, I mean, it's, it's got the whole world as a group. Our own government has forsaken our constitutional freedoms in lieu of so-called mandatory protections that are for less than 1% of the population. And they've sacrificed the right of, of, of Americans for that. There's this narrative of, of systematic racism and defunding the police, and it sent rioters into our streets, and that threat is growing every day. Uh, I can tell you it's not being covered by the media as much right now, even though it's occurring every night in Portland, Oregon, in Seattle, Washington. Uh, they're not reporting it because they don't want you to see that one party is standing for law and order and the other one is not standing for law and order. It's interesting to me that this lawlessness that's taking place, that the, that the uh, Antichrist uh, is called the son of lawlessness, the son of sin, or the son of sin, or whatever he's called, but the word sin is lawlessness. And all this lawlessness is very much Antichrist, and, it's, and it is aimed at overturning morality, because that's what it's about. It's about taking the old that's good, and replacing it and erasing it to never be heard from again. Lawlessness is what it's called, and we'll talk about that sometime, maybe February or March. Anyway, we'll see what happens. This election we're about to have, I mean, the outcome, it's going to be tumultuous whichever way it goes. I mean, it's just our country is is so divided, and, and, and uh, you know, whether we have a... a uh, a war here that is fought with guns or just in the state house, I don't know. But there's a civil conflict that's at hand, and we need to be, I mean, it's just like it's going, it's going, it's going. So let me just make sure I remind you to vote. Vote the Bible. Don't, don't be fooled into voting compassion. And I'm going to talk about that as we go. Vote the Bible. What does the Bible say? We've got to vote against anti-God and anti-biblical candidates in their parties. If they're murdering babies, they don't need to get the church's vote, and the church needs to vote. If they are promoting uh, lifestyles that are anti-Christian, anti-God, anti-Bible, they don't need to get our votes. We need to be people who stand for what the Bible says. All right? This passage I just read to you tells us what to do in times like the one we live in. So let me just, let's look at it. It says in, in verse 2, it says, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us. Now, the passage isn't intended to scare but to prepare us uh, for, for, for world and personal events so we're not going to get caught off guard and be sent into a place of panic. I mean, if we panic... We give up on faith, 
We make foolish decisions based on fear and not on the Word of God. The devil wants you to panic. He wants the church to panic. He, he relishes panic. I mean, in, 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 when, when Paul wrote these words, false prophecy teachers had said in the name of Paul that the rapture had already occurred and that they had been left behind. Okay, these people uh, thought Paul taught them that, ta- told them that Jesus had already come again. All right, and so, so it tells us we're not to be troubled neither by spirit. There are demon spirits at work. We've got to know what the Word of God says, and we've got to try the spirits to find out what is God saying, what has God said, and what do we believe. Nor by word. We, you can't just believe everything they tell you on Fox News. Amen. I know that's like the Christian Bible sometimes. We got, oh, uh, Hannity said that. That's got to be God. Well, it might be and it might not be. We need to line it up with the Word of God. Okay? Make sure that, we, that, that it's not by somebody's Word. It's by the Word, nor by letter. That's talking about, about rumor is what it's talking about. There was a rumor going around. You can't listen to rumors and conspiracy theories all day long and then expect to live by faith in what God has said. Okay, we need, I mean, even Christian conspiracy theories. We, we cannot allow that to run us. We've got to find out what does the Bible say. He said that you be not soon shaken. The word soon means quickly, suddenly, hastily. I mean, these things, all of a sudden they're there. Shaken means, means to shake, to waver, to totter, or to be moved. We can't be suddenly moved. I mean, Christians, often they believe everything that comes down the pike and they're moved here and there and there and there. Some days they're happy, some days they're sad, some days they're brave, some days they're afraid. We just need to be people who are not soon shaken. The, the, the tense in the Greek points to events that are so dramatic they could result in shock or alarm. Are you not shocked by the fact that the whole world shut down? I mean, I'm shocked. I'm alarmed by the fact that people lost their jobs and, and, and lost their businesses, all these things. That's what this I said, don't be soon shaken. I mean, the Greek tense strongly suggests a devastating occurrence or more specifically a sequence of devastating occurrences so dramatic that they will throw the world into a state of shock or distress. One event, another event, another event, Another event, another event. When the president had, had, had the virus, man, it was another event. And I thought, oh my goodness, another event. Another, don't be surprised. I mean, we still, we still have a couple of weeks before the actual election day. Don't be surprised. There may, there may, there may be some more events that, that come before that. But when he uses the word soon shaken, he's telling us to resist being easily shaken up by events that will occur just before Jesus comes back. That needs to be true about any event. We don't need to be soon shaken. We don't need to be people who are panicked. And then he was careful right after that to say, soon shaken in mind. In our minds, he's talking about how to think. The word for mind, the, the word is nous in, in, in the Greek. It describes everything in the realm of the intellect, including your will, your emotions, your ability to think, reason, and decide. Who or whatever controls your mind has the power to dictate the affairs and outcome of your life. Whatever, whoever, think about the media. 
Think about what they do. They are so convinced of what I just said that they have whole networks devoted to making you think a certain way. I mean, they understand if they can get your mind, get your mind to thinking a thought that, that you will follow that thought. Man, that's something, isn't it? We've got, they know that. The devil knows that. He's known it since the beginning. He understands that if he can get your mind, that's why our mind has to be renewed. That's why we can't conform to the world. And I'm going to talk about that a lot before we get through, hopefully, tonight. We can't be shaken in our mind. If a person allows his mind to be doused with panic or fear, he's putting fear in charge of his life. If all I listen to every day is how bad it is and how bad it's going to be, man, fear is going to rule my life, whether it gets bad or not. Wouldn't it be better if I focused on what God said so if it got bad, I could have God's plan when it gets bad rather than just be running around like everyone else? Paul wants his readers to remain in peace. I mean, regardless of, of, of the events that transpire around us. He urges us not to follow fear from the shocking, distressful events and allow them to penetrate our minds, our will, and our emotions. And I think that's really something. He went on. He's, he, I mean, he, he's making sure we get this. He, he, says, he, says, he says that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled. Jesus said, he said, in the world, he said, in the world, you're, you're going to have some problems. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. That's my job, is to not let my heart be troubled. I, I choose that. I don't have to bow the knee to every anxious thought that comes my way. Remember I talked about worry for several weeks in a row or several times in a row. We can't allow worry to do that. The word troubled here, it indicates inward fright that, that, that comes from all those shocking events I've been talking about. And the shock resulting from these nerve-wracking events could be so severe that it caused a devout person to be devoured with worry, anxiety, and fear. We need tonight, before we walk out these doors, to bind the anxiety. I'm telling you, I was praying yesterday and I realized there was this anxious thing that was hanging over me. And I didn't even know it was there. And I bound that thing and got rid of it because we cannot live under that. I mean, if there's no pause between one shocking event after another shocking event, and I mean, they're just nerve-wracking, we got to know how to stand right now. Not be afraid, but learn what to do. I mean, one scholar translates this word trouble as being, as being jumpy or nervous. We don't want to be jumpy or nervous. We want to be people who walk and live in faith. We must not allow ourselves to be shaken or moved by anything we see or hear. Wow. Jesus was not shaken when he was arrested. He knew he had heard from God and knew what he was doing. The world, the world tells us to panic and be in fear. The word tells us we've got to grip, get a grip on our minds 
and refuse to allow ourselves to be traumatized by its events. We cannot allow fear to control our whole lives. What if the president doesn't get reelected? What what does that do to the gospel? What does that do to the word? How does that limit our God? See, instead of letting those things get to us and rob us of our joy, peace, and victory, we need to be rooted with confidence in God's promise. Standing on what he said. We've got to take a stand against fear, determined to stay in faith. But in order for us to stay in faith, it's impaired if we keep our minds focused on the Word of God. What did God say? I'm glad you asked. Colossians 13, uh, Colossians 3, verse 15 and 16. And let the peace of God rule your hearts, to the which also you're called to be in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you in all wisdom. Word richly dwell in me. Peace, the peace of God rule in my heart. And when the word of God dwells richly in our lives, it produces peace. It needs to dwell richly. I mean, it's so much supernatural peace comes that it actually rules our heart. Man, that's pretty good. We need the peace of God to be ruling our heart tonight. We don't need to, the fear of a virus. We don't need the fear of an election, the fear of a riot. We need the peace of God to rule in our heart. The word rule, I mean, this Greek word, it describes an umpire who calls all the shots and makes all the decisions. Peace needs to be the umpire of my heart that calls all the shots. I mean, when God's word is richly dwelling in my heart, suddenly the peace of God makes all the decisions, calls all the shots. I like that. He umpires my emotions. I don't have to be in fear and trepidation about what's going on. I mean, rather than being led by the ups and downs that, I, that of my day or what I read online, I mean, man, just read read the top three stories on on Fox News, and I'm telling you, it, it will. You know, Trump is behind in these states, and he'll probably lose, and 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 all. You know what? We need to get the Word of God inside of us. Let let peace make the decision about how I feel. Let it choose. I mean, if we can, if we can be ruled by peace, we, we'll, be, we'll have this wonderful place we go to in God. But to receive the benefit of God's word, you must allow it to dwell in you richly. I like this word, richly. This, this, this word, richly, is the Greek word, plusius, and it can be translated lavishly. Let the word of God dwell in you lavishly. It paints a picture of giving the word a wonderful reception by rolling out the red carpet so I can richly and lavishly welcome the word into my heart. Man, when you let God's word have its place of honor in your heart, your mind, your emotions, it releases power that stabilizes you, keeps you in peace even in the most difficult time. We need that. If we're going to live free of fear in these times, we must make a commitment to the Word. We must. People in churches today 
are malnourished. They don't have enough word diet because the church is not standing up and saying, you got to have it every day of your life. You got to have the word of God. Got to have it. Wow. Here's here's what the Bible says. And I've read this verse not last time, but two two times before that. Be sober. Be vigilant. This is 1 Peter 5, 8. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. We must understand there is an adversary. He is the devil. He is he is walking about. He's finding people that he can devour. I mean, we've looked at it. We've seen the word devour means literally to drink. And it has to do with, with, with the devil not just eating the remains, but having eaten the remains, licking up the fluids that are left over. We've talked about that's what the devil wants to do. He wants it. He can't do it to everybody, but he's looking for the ones he can do it. We talk about the roaring lion is the one who roars and sends the, the, the herd into panic. And in panic, they make decisions they ought not make. And one may turn left and everybody turns right. And that one gets eaten because he panicked, because he didn't think right, do right. And so we've got to, the one roaring isn't the one who's going to, it's going to catch him. It's the other ones that are going to catch him. And he falls prey to their trap. And so we've got to make sure that we, that we don't panic. I love it. It says be sober. We've spent a whole week looking at this. That means to think straight. Not like a silly drunk. That sounds a little bit like that verse we just read before about about not. What, what, what did it say exactly? It said, it says that that we're not to be shaken in mind. We got to be sober. We've got to think straight. We've got to understand that that what the word says. I mean, this you know the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. The Bible says we can have a renewed mind. I mean, this this the word is used several times in the New Testament. It's talking about being thinking straight, not like a silly drunk. I mean, being make, making sure that you're, you're free of the silliness or the, or the clouded judgment of the world's intoxication. Be vigilant. The word vigilant, the Greek word is Gregorio. It, it literally means to arouse from sleep, but, the, but the, the, it, it's talking about giving strict attention to something, being wide awake, standing guard, being on high alert. I mean, it's talking about putting your guard against a sinister force on the outside that's trying to get on the inside. And the Bible says in, second, in 1 Corinthians 6, 13, it's best translated this way, watch ye. The word watch is Gregorio, which means, which means to be vigilant. Watch ye. Stand fast in the faith. Quit ye like men. Be strong. I mean, that, it basically says be constantly on alert and on your guard. I'm telling you, the devil is doing everything he can to get in. Sadly, he's, 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 he's snuck into the church. We can't just go through life blindly assuming that because we're saved that the devil can't get to us. We can't go to the church building and say, ha ha, devil, King's X, you can't come in here. Because he's going to stand up and say, I've been here a long time. I snuck in behind your backs a long time ago. We're going to talk about that as we go here. Listen, and when they do that, it doesn't work. The devil still gets to them. They don't understand. Well, I thought, I thought if I got saved, everything would be great. And that Jesus had a plan for my life and that it would all be good. And when it doesn't work out, they're offended at God, and they quit. Not the church, they quit God. 
And, and, and so there's no real faith because there's not enough word in their lives to show them how to fight against the, the evil spirits that are out there, how to stand against the devil. They don't understand there's a war to be fought. So this passage I just read is written to believers. I mean, the devil is out there, but we have authority. We have the ability to take a stand and thwart his devices if we simply just know what to do. The church needs to know. We, as a, as, as a group of believers, need to know. We're in a war for our nation. We're in a war for the church of the United States. We've got to know how to resist. So we're going to talk about that as, as we go here tonight. The Bible says to resist in the faith. We can, faith can only come from the word as we resist him. So I'm going to look at this word adversary for a few minutes. I want you to know, I want us to see something tonight, how the devil works. He's an adversary. All right? I don't want to glorify the devil, but we've got to understand how he operates so we can resist him in the faith. I mean, he's done a good job. He knows what his job is. So the church is the ones that are confused. We've got to get, we get the mind of Christ on this. Okay, if we appropriate the word, stay in the word, we will stand in faith and overcome. We can't be afraid. We can't be dismayed no matter how it looks. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We've got to release the one inside of us. We've got to understand his schemes and methods of operation. So we can rebuild the wall or, 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 or stand, stand and make sure the wall doesn't collapse. So the word adversary in the Greek, it's a unique Greek word. And, and the word is antidikos. It, 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 it's, it, it's well established in Greek literature and in Greek history. It describes a lawyer who argued in a court of law, a prosecuting attorney who argues vehemently against the accused. So the devil is like this lawyer who argues against us. It describes an accuser or prosecutor who intends to bring a guilty charge against a person on the basis of information from past actions or deeds, or similarly, a prosecutor who brings formal charges against the accused based on some legal violation. Okay, so the devil is looking. He's looking for a violation. All right, think about a prosecutor. He, how does he prosecute? He can't just bring random charges against a person. He has to have some kind of evidence in a court of law, supposedly. That's the way it's supposed to work anyway. He has to have information of some violation. He has to have proof that some law was broken. With that information in hand, he can produce, he can, he can produce it, then he can proceed to prosecute with the intention of taking the violator down. That's what the devil does. He's looking for a loophole. Thank God that Jesus found the loophole that didn't take us to hell. And he found the loophole that made us righteous and that we get to go to heaven. The devil's looking for some kind of loophole so he can bring accusation. The word antidikos is used several times in the New Testament. I'm not going to take the time to use them. But here in this verse where it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, it could say, it says, because your adversary, the devil, like a prosecuting attorney, is searching for some loophole in your life, for some place of scriptural, spiritual violation where you have broken a spiritual law, and like a prosecuting attorney, he will try to use that evidence to legally prosecute you and take you down. That's what he's after. The devil is looking for a way to get in. That's why we cannot give him a place. We can't let him in. That's why Jesus said, listen, he, he can't find anything in me because he, there was no loophole in Jesus. All right, so we've seen the devil is looking for an entry point. All right, Peter is good to tell us what kind of entry point he's looking for. He works like a prosecuting attorney, which means he will look for areas of violation, all right, where you've violated or the church has violated a spiritual law. 
even though the greater one lives in us and we're secure in Christ, if we violated spiritual law, we've created an entry point through which the devil can enter. We're going to close those up. That's what we got to do. That's why the scripture says, judge yourselves that you be not judged. All right, we we got to close it down. That's in, in 1 Corinthians 11, 31. In other words, when we find there's one, we repent. We just simply repent. I like this. I like the way the way I've heard it put. Admit it, quit it, and forget it. Move on. Do what we're supposed to do. We got to do that. Thank God for His mercy. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. I mean, my plea. When the devil does it, and I see it, and I go, "Okay, God, here's my plea." I, my plea is the blood. Because I know that the Bible says the blood speaks of better things than the blood of Abel's. His blood speaks of mercy, forgiveness, justification. Whereas Abel's blood cried out for justification and, and, and punishment. We speak, we say, my plea is the blood. Because I know this, that I've been redeemed by precious blood. The blood was shed for me that I might be justified. Just as if I had never sinned before, I believe in the work of the blood. Okay, that, that's what we do. That's how we stop it. When the devil gets in there, we find it. Here's the problem. The church is already in a mess because the adversary has found a loophole. Let me share, let me share with you what I see the loopholes as. Immorality. There is immorality in the church. The church is not much different than the world. Oh, it's okay. God still loves them and we love them too. We're going to read some scripture here in just a minute that you may not like. We no longer teach holiness in the church. Well, you know, we're just trying to be relevant. Show me chapter and verse for being relevant. Don't recall Paul being relevant. Don't I know Jesus wasn't relevant. Relevance. We're not trying to appeal. We're trying to take people to heaven. Immorality is in the church. I mean, people come into church in sin and never repenting, never changing over years and years. Number one, the church. Number two, here's another loophole. Ignorance. People are not taught what the Bible says. The scripture says they're taken captive. The scripture says they're being destroyed for a lack of scriptural knowledge. The devil can do whatever he wants to do. If you don't know what the Bible says, he can do what he wants to do. Number three, apathy. People just don't care. There's, there's, there's a lack of real faith because people don't know what, what's, what the word says. So what do we do? All right, I'm glad you asked. Now that you may not like these these verses I'm getting ready to read to you are almost like hate speech. I'm just going to tell you right now. Second Corinthians chapter six, beginning at verse fourteen. I'm going to go all the way to the next chapter, beginning through verse one. The scripture says, "Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers." Now I'm getting. It's going to ask several questions. The apostle says, "For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness?" What's the answer? None. That's the answer. None. What communion hath light with darkness? None. The answer is the same for every one of these questions. It's really a pretty good, easy test to pass. What concord hath Christ with Belial? 
None. What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? None. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? None. For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Well, well, wait a minute. Isn't the byword today inclusion? Oh, inclusion. We have to include. That ain't what the Bible said. The Bible says separate. Be separate. And I'll be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Next, next chapter, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now the problem in this particular church, I don't know if you have read First and Second Corinthians, you realize there's a Second Corinthians because it was the first, right? I mean, that, that, that's why there's Second Corinthians. We found out, and I'm going to go to this in a minute, we found out there's some people in this church that are living in sin. There's a guy who is having sexual relationship in sexual relationship with his stepmother. I mean, Paul, and we'll read it, he said, even the Gentiles aren't that perverted. He said, they're in church and they're acting like that. And they're staying in church. They're not changing. They're not repenting. They're still in the fellowship of the church. And nobody's saying anything. It's a problem. He says, we're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You know, a yoke is this wooden apparatus, apparatus where two animals are linked together. He said, we are not to be linked together with unbelievers. I mean, we, we, the reason we can't be linked with unbelievers is because we don't share the most important things in common. Our value. What God has told us, the word of God. He says, come out, be separate. We are to be separate. Here's what he says, what we see in that chapter. He said, in order to fellowship with those who see no problem with sin, we'll have to touch the unclean thing. He's not talking about touching it physically. He's talking about touching it with our soul. Our soul becomes entwined with what's not clean. Oh, well, it's okay if they do that. I mean, I'm not going to get involved with that. Listen, we've been washed, but we can still defile ourselves by touching the unclean thing. Christians simply don't have the right to do whatever they want to do and then claim grace. It's like, oh, I sin. I'm going to run to the grace, grace base. I'm, I'm free now. No, no, there's repentance involved with that process. Repentance is not some thing we, that, that it, you don't really mean. We don't get to do everything. We didn't lose our will when we got saved. Did you figure that one out? I mean, we can still choose to participate with evil. We can choose to fellowship with people who do evil. When we do, influence is going to go one way or the other. Either I'm going to be the influencer or I'm going to be the influenced. We've learned in church to tolerate sin. Oh, it's okay. I know they're doing that, but if they come to church, maybe it'll help them. I mean, God loves them. We love them. And, and 
But in what the scripture just told us, it said that we had to be separate from it. Tolerance is the first step to conformity. Inclusiveness goes right with this. Inclusive. Here's, a, here's our problem, and the devil knows it. We're all about being kind. We just want to be nice to people. But you don't have to do what they do. You don't have to include them in the group and be mean. The Bible tells us something different. I mean, that, that would be almost like hate speech. I mean, some call anything that doesn't embrace everything hate speech. If I don't embrace your, 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 your sexual preference, if I don't embrace your, uh, your lifestyle, if I don't embrace this or that, then that, then that means that I am not tolerant. Well, I don't want to conform to that. I don't have to be mean. don't have to be ugly. I just got to be separate. Amen. This is good. I don't have to touch what they're touching. I don't have to do what they're doing. I'm not their judge. I'm not going to be their judge. Here's the problem many Christians have. We try to argue with people. The only answer you need to say is, here's what the Bible says. Well, is that your opinion? I'm just telling you, that's what the Bible says. And then if they argue, guess who they get to argue with? God. And if they want to do that, that's fine. All right? We judge ourselves. The Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. Judgment is a standard. It's raising a standard. The world needs a standard. The standard begins at the house of God is what that's saying. The world needs a standard, not some wishy-washy thing that says, well, you can do that and it's okay. You, don't, you know, we're okay with everybody who wants to come and nobody's perfect. And That's true, nobody's perfect, but we don't have to not have a standard in front of us. It's got to be the Word of God. We're not going to argue with them. We're not going to judge them because we're not their judge. But I am responsible to judge myself so that I won't be judged. Did you read that? Did you hear what I said in that verse, verse seven of, the, of, of verse one of chapter seven? Therefore, having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Cleanse ourselves. Judge ourselves. Walk in holiness before God. How long has it been since we've heard a message on holiness? I bet not in a long, long, long time. Because holiness is not relevant unless you want to know the will of God for your life. Man, see, holiness. Oh, well, you know, that's just legalism and, and we're not under the law, we're under grace. You need to find the context of that verse and find out what it really just said. Listen, this isn't about do's and don'ts. This is about right and wrong. Well, who is right? The Bible is right. It is right. I mean, the Bible says, let God be true, and every man that disagrees with him is a liar. What the Bible says is right. There are just some things we don't need to do. Amen. The Weiss translation does verse 17 this way. Wherefore, come out at once from their midst and separate yourselves at once, says the Lord, and stop touching that which is unclean. 
The Living Bible says, says, Don't be teamed with those who do not love the Lord, for what do the people of God have in common with people of sin? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a Christian be a partner with one who doesn't believe? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For you are God's temple, the home of the living God. And God has said of you, I will live in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's why the Lord said, leave them. Separate yourselves from them. Don't touch the filthy things and I will welcome you. That, man, I, let me make sure you understand. I didn't write that. Now, I may have typed it out here, but I did not write that. I mean, it's the Bible. It goes against what the world is preaching. It goes against what the church is preaching. That everything is okay and everyone is okay. And we must accept everyone as they are. The Bible didn't, doesn't teach that at all. I mean, have you heard a sermon about repentance lately? I watched about 30 minutes of a tent meeting with Mario Murillo the other day, and I mean it was about repentance. There's got to be there's got to be the word holiness, the word repent. Holiness is Christ likeness in us. It's not following some religious group. It's not having their rules. Because of His blood, we start over every day. And if I fail today, I can begin tonight and tomorrow. His mercies do new every morning. I cannot conform. I must not conform to the ungodly world. We don't join them. And do what they do. We must take a stand. And when you take a stand and you say, you know what? I can't do that. You're going to find out who your real friends are. There are things we simply cannot do. When we conform to them, we become contaminated. And we get confused. Ours is to draw the ungodly from the world, not vice versa. All right. As I said, 2 Corinthians is written because there's a 1 Corinthians. Here's where it came from. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm not going to read this whole chapter even though I should. It says, it says, It is reported commonly there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And you are puffed up, <laughs> and, and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Now this is interesting. He said, y'all are puffed up. Y'all got this attitude, well, we just have this new revelation on grace. We can tolerate this, and, and we are here to help them. Verse 5, it says, To deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your glory is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sanctified, sacrificed for us. He goes on to talk about, he, he, he says, he says, he talks about, he said, I told you not to, not, not to be around the fornicators of the world or the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. But then he said, I didn't tell you not to do that. Because if you did, you can't even be in the world. But now I've written to you to not keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such and one, do not eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do you not judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judges. Therefore, put away from you among yourselves that wicked person. Man, God's being pretty serious about this. 
He's talking about. He, he's talking about. We've got to find that there are some things that just do not need to be in the church. Don't need to be there. I mean, he said you're puffed up. You're proud. Well, you know, we love them, and God loves them, and maybe we could help them. That's one of the greatest tricks that the devil's playing on the church today. He's camouflaging compromise as compassion. We're saying it's compassion, but it's camouflaged compromise. If it's tolerated, it will multiply. Isn't this good? So is this is this a love speech or a hate speech we're talking about here? See, the devil the devil hates what I'm telling you tonight because he wants everything to be gray, and that no one will know what is God and what is not. The devil wants to call evil good and good evil. He wants there to be no standard. Listen, there are certain things we must never allow in our midst. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, to be not conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The reason the church doesn't know the will of God is because she is conforming to the world and allowing all that's the world to come and stay and influence us rather than us influence them. I mean, we, we can't allow it. He said it will leaven the whole lump. He said, he said, he's talking about in the church, in the church, he said, don't eat with them. That's not hate speech. That's love speech. He said, turn them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. Not, not to kill them, but so they can repent and come to God. There's nothing wrong with people coming back to God. There's nothing wrong with any of that. I mean, we don't need the contamination. They need a wake-up call. I mean, th that couple there, it seems like they're still in full standing with the church. Still teaching Sunday school. Still greeting at the door. Still doing all the things. I mean, you got to say, no, you can't do that. And it, we're not going out to eat with you anymore. It ought to get their attention so they can come to a place of repentance. The devil camouflages compromise as compassion. The Bible here said, put them away. Get them out of the choir. Get them off the worship band, off the usher team. They need time to think about this thing. Is that love or hate? It's love. It's loving people. You know, when our children were small, we gave them spankings, not because we hated them, but because the Bible said to and because we loved them. Because the scripture told us it would save their soul from hell. And we didn't like doing it. We didn't. We never enjoyed it one time that I know of. <coughs> and believe me, they deserved them sometimes. But we wanted to save them from hell. Love is different than everybody getting to do their own thing and having their own way. The devil has come into the church through this, this attitude of of immorality and ignorance because the church, the, a good leader, 
good leaders are going to take a stand. They're not going to, probably they may need to, depends on who it is, but they're not going to stand up for the church and say, Bob over here is, is immoral, we're kicking him out. They're not going to do that. But they've got to identify it. They've got to take it to heart and do it the right way. Not being mean, but doing it right. We cannot allow the devil to use loopholes to take the church in this age and miss what God wants to do in our world. Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that we must come to understand what is holy and what is not. Lord, we must come to understand what is righteous and what is not. Lord, we've got to separate ourselves. The church must separate itself. I pray tonight, God, that you will give us revelation, not judgment, but we're not going to judge people. We don't want to be mad at anybody, but we've got to take a stand for holiness. Lord, we give you thanks tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.